The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. New Song Church. How's everybody doing this morning? So let me get this straight. My worship leader just told you let's skip the 9 a.m. service in a church that has been packed the last several weeks. No, don't be skipping. If you are 9 o'clock service people, keep coming to the 9 o'clock service. In fact, some of you need to move to the 9 o'clock service or the 1230 to make room for some other people. But hey, we're glad you're here. Glad that you you made it. We've got a great day lined up for you. I'm not going to take a whole bunch of time this morning because uh, our guest speaker is one of my heroes of the faith. Uh, we're so excited to have Pastor Dennis, his wife Colleen, with us this morning. In fact, this week, yeah, give him a hand. It, it really is, like I don't throw this word around a lot because I think it gets thrown around a lot, but it really is surreal for us. Um, in fact, this week I was telling Sarah, I was like, hey, just, so, just a reminder, we're going to our church this weekend, and Pastor Dennis Rouse is preaching at our church this weekend. Like, you have to know how crazy and far-fetched that felt for us about 15 years ago. Like, what God has done is amazing, and we're so grateful for what he's doing, and, uh, and so excited to have Pastor Dennis. For those of you who don't know, he pastors Victory World Church in Atlanta, Georgia. They have several campuses, and he is a, uh, a father of fathers. He is a leader of leaders. He's an incredible man of God, and I know he's got a powerful word for you this morning. So get out your notes, get out some paper, get out your phone, take notes. Turn to the person beside you and say, take some notes. Turn to the other person and say, if you don't take notes, you're a dummy. You are. You need to take notes. Note takers are history makers, right? So take notes this morning, and would you please welcome, give a standing ovation welcome to Pastor Dennis Rouse this morning. Thank you, man. Thank you. Thank you very much. Wow. Well, first of all, I'm just, I'm so excited to be here. Colleen and I, we were supposed to leave on a plane at 1.50 in the afternoon yesterday, and we ended up leaving at 11 o'clock last night from Atlanta, so we got in at 2 o'clock in the morning. And uh, then I made the mistake this morning of going to Starbucks right when the storm hit. And uh, I'm driving through, you know, floodwaters and everything to get coffee for my wife, who I love dearly. <laughs> but, and I told Josh when the power went out at 9 o'clock, I said, the devil just does not want this service to happen. And look at you, you are here on a Sunday morning in the middle of a storm. I love preaching right in the middle of a storm. Because you find out who really loves Jesus on Sunday morning. Come on, somebody, y'all, give yourself a hand. You are here. There are people that probably were thinking about coming, but they decided not to come, but you made it. So I'm glad you're here. Um, first of all, I want to say to, to you how special it is, not only to be here, but how special you are to have a pastors like Josh and Sarah Blunt. I, I just love them. They're just, pop, they're just dear people. We met them years ago when they were at Gateway Church and Children's Ministry, and uh, he told me that he had been watching a little bit of our podcast, and when they started the church, he contacted and said, hey, I want you know, wanted you to be a part of this and just help us as we get going, and we just love them as people, and uh, it's, it's so cool to see not only a husband that loves God and, and, and can preach, but a wife that can preach, and uh, you got a little fireball over there sitting there. 
I got one too, and I tell you right now, you gotta, you gotta know Jesus to be married to somebody like that. <laughs> but we love your church, the presence of God. David just brought such a wonderful worship uh, experience here this morning, the worship team. You have an amazing worship team. For this type of church, it's an amazing worship team. And I, I'm really looking forward to what's ahead for you, what's next for you. We, we've been at it for almost 30 years, and uh, so we kind of know the stages that church, churches go through. How old is this church? Almost four years. Almost four years. Almost four years. You're, you're way ahead of the growth curve. You're, you're in the top 10%, to even 5% of churches in America, and you don't even know it. But the 85% of churches in America are 100 people or less. And right now, across America, 200 churches a week are closing their doors uh, because so many people are drifting away from the gospel. So you understand that this is a very unique opportunity that you have here in Oklahoma City. And so I had a message that I was going to preach, and then the Lord shifted it in me a few days ago and, and, and gave me a different message for this, for this day because this is sort of, and, and hear me, I'm not an apostle, but this is sort of an apostolic message. And, and the reason I'm preaching this is because I know where you are and the stage the church is in, and I think this is going to help you uh, in the next few years as you go forward. So I'm going to talk to you about how to have a healthy culture in your church, how to have a healthy culture. Um, when I think about our church, we, as I said, we're 30 years old, <clears throat> uh, we'll, be, we'll be 30 years old in February of, of this coming year, next year. And when I think about our church, when we were at your stage, um, one, of the, one of the things that I started studying was this context of culture and how important it is to establish a culture, a healthy culture in a church. And that you have two paths you can go down in a church as you go forward. You can go about trying to grow your church in numbers, get a lot of people to come to your church, or you can go about trying to grow healthy people. And when you grow healthy people, healthy people grow healthy churches. How many of you know not every big church is healthy? I don't know if you realize that or not, but there are a lot of really large churches that are not healthy churches and aren't necessarily preaching the word of God, but they're large because they know how to attract people. We've learned in America the art of attraction. We know how to say the right things that attract people, but that doesn't mean it's changing their hearts when it comes to Jesus. And so you have a lot of people. I was in a church one time, one of the largest churches in America, and literally, I walked through the whole service and walked out, and I had a missionary friend of mine, and he said to me as we walked out, he said, well, you've learned how to do this. I said, what is that? He said, you've learned how to, to build a church in America where thousands of people come and God is not even in the house, and the people don't even know it. They don't even understand it. How many of you know that God is in the house here this morning? God is here. The presence of God is here. I've been feeling the presence of God since I drove up in this parking lot. But uh, in that worship experience, I I really felt the presence of God. So let's just go to the Lord. Father, we just thank you for the next few moments together that you have a special word for New Song Church, that this is a word that you want to impart, that you imparted to me years and years ago about culture that I think will help this church take take it to the next level. So Father, would you open everyone's heart by the power of the Holy Spirit? Would you just begin to bring a fresh anointing on me as a communicator to help everyone clearly get this picture of what it means to have a healthy culture in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. All right, so I started studying culture years ago. One of the things that I first looked at was 
the culture of businesses because I noticed that every business has a culture. And one of the most fascinating cultures that I learned in business was Chick-fil-A. Do y'all have Chick-fil-A out here? Y'all like Chick-fil-A? All right, so Chick-fil-A started in Atlanta and Truett Cathy started in Atlanta. And uh, so we have them on every corner and everybody knows Chick-fil-A in Atlanta. And if you know anything about fast food, you know that today Chick-fil-A is not open. It's not open on Sundays. It's open only uh, six days a week while all other fast food chains are open seven days a week. And there's a certain culture, and you know this, when you go to Chick-fil-A, whether you go inside or you go through the drive-thru, you have a different experience at Chick-fil-A than you do at McDonald's or Taco Bell or Burger King. Isn't that right? It's a different experience. It's fast food, but it's a different experience. And what's so interesting about it is that, you know, they just do studies on businesses. Forbes wrote a a really interesting uh, article on the culture of Chick-fil-A. And and they said, you know, in business, from a business perspective, it's, it's a phenomenon because one of the days of the week, it's not open. And yet the top fast food chains in America, like McDonald's is the was the gold standard, would bring in an average of about $2 million a year, and Chick-fil-A brings in an average of over $3.5 million a year, and it's open one less day, and it's the fastest-growing fast food chain for the last several years. It grows about 10% a year every year, and it just keeps growing, and yet when you go through Chick-fil-A, there's something different about the employees, there's something different about the service, and the food is good too may not be good for you, but it's good, right? And, and so, you know, I mean, you, you're driving through, they're standing outside, they're taking your order. There's nobody at McDonald's standing outside taking your order. It's pouring down rain. They see you coming out of the car. They run over with an umbrella. They come up to your table. Can I get you another t- iced tea? Can I, can I get you something? They clean your table. There's just a high level of service and value that's in that culture. So I just started thinking, well, what is the culture that's in our church? When people walk into our church, what would set us apart from every other church that's in town? We all know that every church has a culture, and that culture sets the tone. So even though the preaching may be really good or the music may be awesome, if the culture is not where it needs to be, the church won't be healthy. Now, I looked up the word culture. Here's the definition. It's a way of life of a group of people. The behavior, the beliefs, the values that generally accept, that people generally accept without even thinking about them. In other words, this is just who we are. This is who we are at New Song. We are this kind of people. We are this kind of a culture. When we started to build our church, uh, the Lord gave me a word out of Matthew, and this is in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, where he's having this talk with Peter, and Peter's discussing with Jesus, and Jesus asked him, who do you say that I am? And we all know Jesus said, you are, and Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then here's what Jesus said. He said, and I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock, not on Peter, but on what he just said, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, or gates of hell, shall not prevail against it. Now, I'll just be honest with you. I I, do, I travel a little bit, not very much, but I, I know a lot of pastors. I've been in a lot of churches, and I've seen a lot of churches. And I've seen way too many churches where the gates of hell are prevailing against the church. Where all hell breaks loose in church. And, and really, you don't see the victory in people. You don't see the victory in the lives of the people. You don't see the victory in the church itself. Most churches are not experiencing the victory. 
But he's saying that when you build it right, when you build the church right, that, that hell has no chance against that church. It has no chance. Now, when Jesus was talking about building, he also made another statement in Matthew chapter 7. He says, when you're building your house, when you're building your house, make sure you build it on the rock. You know, the rock, which is the words that I'm teaching you. He said, when you build it on the rock, he says, the winds will come, the rains will come, the floods will come. Anybody can relate to that? And it said, and it'll beat upon that house, but it, it won't tear it down. But if you build it on the sand... Then when all these things come, it'll fall, it'll crumble. So what, what we want to do at Newsong, what we want to do is we want to build this church on the rock, amen? We want to build it on the values that Christ sets in motion, all right? So I looked up some statistics. Here's some things you need to know about what's happening right now. In America, only 15% of young adults right now claim any strong affiliation with Christianity or the church. That means 85% of the millennial generation has no Christian values, has no concept of Christ, is not thinking about church. They're not waking up this morning thinking about church. 85%, that's why, that's why you will see an election as the election year comes around, that age bracket will vote typically socialistic values in our country. Bernie Sanders had 80% of the millennial vote the last time around. It's hard to even imagine in our minds, how America is moving in that direction, but that's the direction it's moving in because the church is not prevailing. The church is not prevailing. The United States now has more secular, unchurched people than most of the nations of the world. The third largest mission field is now the English-speaking world. Currently, only 6% of adults over the age of 18 find faith in Christ. In other words, if you haven't found faith in Christ, why children's church is so important, Because if you haven't found faith in Christ by 18, 94% of the people will never find Christ after that. That's the statistics. Approximately 200 churches are closing their doors every week in America, and the fastest growing religion in America is not Christianity, it's social justice. Social justice is now taking the place of Christianity in the eyes of young Americans, and so they've made it their religion. It's a do-good thing. It's a thing to do good, and we believe in social justice. How many of you believe in social justice? But it is not what we worship. And what happens is when that, that becomes your religion, really you kind of throw morality out the door. And it's all about doing good instead of being good. Amen? How many of you know we need to be good as well as do good? The Bible says the throne of God is built on two principles, righteousness and justice. The throne of God's built on two principles, righteousness and justice, doing right, living right, and then doing right. And so when you, when you start to make one uh, the, 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 the thing that you worship you, and you eliminate the other one, you get out of balance. That's why you see the Republican Party all about righteousness, the Democratic Party all about justice, and both of them are missing the mark. It has to be righteousness and justice that you build the throne of God on. Y'all all right out there? All right, so let me give you some signs of a healthy culture. I'm going to give you four things real quickly that this church, I believe you already have this, but it it can always grow, and some of you may be just coming in a new song, and this will be good for you to know about what it means to be a part of a healthy church. Number one, every healthy culture has a culture of love, a culture of love. Now, I know that's simple. I know a lot of us, we, we think we understand love, but... There's a whole dimension of love that a lot of people in the church don't understand. There's a scripture <clears throat> that 
Jesus is talking to his disciples and then this religious person comes up to him and says, what are the greatest commandments? What's the greatest commandment out there? And Jesus says this in Matthew 22, verse 36. He says, teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it or equal to it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Basically, he's saying everything that you've learned up to this point through the Ten Commandments is found in these two commandments. He says, if you can get these two down inside your life, you will fulfill all of the commandments that are out there. So the first thing he says is he says this concept of love has two dimensions to it. One is loving God and one is loving people. Loving God with all your heart, your soul. Now, so for example, we just demonstrate that when we come to church and worship, Worship is the beginning stages of of a setting of a church. We're expressing our dimension of love that we have for God in our worship experience. And I love what Sarah said. She said, now we're about to go into this next song, and I want you to really just unleash yourself. Just let yourself love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. But how many of you know not everybody in church loves God like that? Not everybody in church has a love for God to the point where they are abandoning it. Some people are on their phones checking things out on Instagram and Facebook while the worship's going on. Some people have their hands in their pockets. Everybody has a different dimension. Some people are going after God. And, you know, the new thing is everybody has to wear jeans with holes in them, you know. And, and, and I just have not been able to pray and love God enough to wear holes in my knees yet. But we got some people up here that love God so much they have worn their pants completely through. They got, no, they got nothing left there. They've been down on their knees loving God. Come on, somebody. That's what that says to me. <laughs> the reality is your worship setting sets a tone of love in the room for God. So when people gather that don't know Jesus or never been around a setting like this, do they feel the presence of God through the love that is coming out of the people for God with all of their heart, with all of their soul, with all of their strength, that they're giving everything they have to God? What would it look like if every one of you went after God with everything you had? The same way you would go after a football game, an Oklahoma Sooner football game, or Oklahoma State football game, and you just went, Wah! and then we come to church and we're just all dignified, you know? We worship our football teams better than we worship God sometimes. Amen. Then it says, love the Lord your God. So love, what do we, the second phase of love is loving the word. Loving the word, even though the word may may, may maybe cause me to feel a little uncomfortable sometimes or cause me to be changed or cause me to be corrected. I love the word. How many of you love the word here at New Songs? You love the word. That's why we have to have the whole word. We can't just have part of the word. We can't just have the good side of the word, the dessert of the word. We have to have the meat, the vegetables. We have to have all the stuff that makes us healthy in our love for God. Amen? Amen. But then the third part, this is where it gets tough. I think a lot of people can love God because God's really not that hard to love. But if, there, if we just had left out that second commandment, people... Because not all people are easy to love. Would y'all agree with me? You know? 
And I look at it like a battery, and you're charging a battery. You got a positive, and you got a negative. You got a black, and you got a uh, that represents the negative part of the of the battery. You got the red that represents the positive part. And if you're trying to charge a battery, if we could say it this way, the red is God, the black is people. And the red hooks up to the positive side. This is our positive side. But how many of you know if you're not hooked up to the negative, you still have no power? If you're unhooked from people, if you don't love people, if you get offended at people, if you're always bitter at people, angry at people, don't value people, then you're not reflecting the love of God. Now, when people walk into a church like New Song or experience you in society, they need to experience you hooked up to both parts of the power of God. People have asked us, our church is a little unique. And it's, it may be hard for you to wrap your head around this at being in Oklahoma City because this is not, you know, where all the nations move to Oklahoma City. They move to cities. They move to coastal cities. And so we have a very international city in Atlanta. So we got a lot of black folk. We got a lot of Hispanic folk. We got a lot of Asian folk. Atlanta is a multicultural, multifaceted city. You got to try hard to do church with just white people in Atlanta. And yet there's thousands of them. Thousands of churches that are all white people in Atlanta. Sending a message to all, and, and black, it's a black Mecca, believe me. When you drive into Atlanta, it is, is, it is a Mecca for black folks. You got to try hard not to have those kind of people in your church. You got to send, you're sending a message a lot of times. And of all things in the South, which where we need reconciliation, we still have huge segregation in the South. And still racial prejudice and racial tension. And when we started Victory, we said, okay, I looked at all my little white folks that were out there that I was preaching to because that's all I knew when I first moved to Atlanta. And I said to them, I said, we're not going to be an all-white church. I said, because that does not reflect what heaven looks like. Now, I recognize that congregations should reflect the culture of their surroundings, what's in their What's in their neighborhoods. And some neighborhoods are all one race, and I recognize that. And maybe it's predominantly white in this area. I don't know, in Oklahoma City. But in Atlanta, we got this multicultural thing. So I said, we're going to be a church of 100 nations. And in order for us to be a church of 100 nations, we're going to have to love black people, Hispanic people, Asian people, as much as we love our own race. We're going to have to value them so that when they walk in the door, they feel loved, they feel welcomed, they they get invited to our church. We don't live in our little white world. We don't live in an echo chamber of whiteness. Y'all all right out there in Oklahoma City? Come on now. We are now a church of 142 nations. It's the most multicultural church in America. It may be in the world. It's, there's only 196 in the world. And so when we come together, there is no one style of worship. There is no one sound. Sometimes it's a little white. Sometimes it's a little black. Sometimes it's a little Latino. It's got everything in it. And, and, but the idea is you've got to give up your culture, your human culture, for the sake of the kingdom culture. Now, when you're willing to sacrifice that, you're starting to enter into a dimension of love that where God abides. That's why Jesus would finish this, and I'll finish this point. He says, let me give you a new commandment, he says in John 13. Love one another in the same way I loved you. You love one another. This is how everyone will recognize that you are my disciples when they see the love that you have for each other. All right, so people don't, 
it's not how much faith you have. It's not how much you read the word. It's not how much you go to church. It's how much do I love and value people. Amen. Value poor people, value rich people, value other nations, value your enemies. Just love people. I'll just ooze out a new song. Can I tell you something? You start loving people when people say, how did you get so big? We just love people. When you love people, people are thriving for love. They're looking for love. Where is it? And they're going to find it in this church. Amen? Amen. Amen. Secondly, you have to create a culture of servanthood. Now, one of the most fascinating things about Jesus that always fascinated me is when we think of Jesus, um, it's hard for us to wrap our head around God becoming a man. It's hard for us to wrap our head even more around a man humbling himself so much so that he becomes obedient even to the point of death on a cross. And we see Jesus not on a chariot drawn by white stallions with gold and pomp and circumstance, but riding in on a donkey. And when they confront Jesus and he starts talking to them about greatness, he said, the greatest of all is the servant of all. In other words, leadership is not about people worshiping the leader. It's about the leader serving the people more than anyone else. When you have people with a heart of serving in a church, it creates a culture of serving. It's a culture of Jesus. It feels like Jesus. Now, in every church, you have two types of people. In every church, you have two types of people. You have people that go to church, and then you have people that are the church. And there's a whole different thing between people who go to church and people who are the church. Let me ask you, which one are you? Did you just get up to go to church this morning? Is church a location, a building, a place you go to for Sunday morning worship? Or is church a lifestyle that you live, and when you come to church, you come to serve, not to be served? (laughs) All right, so... They asked Jesus this, and this is what he said in Matthew 20, verse 26. It shall not be so among you, those of you that understand this. He says, whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. Whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In my study of the church, there's a principle called the Pareto Principle, 20-80 Principle, where 20% of the people do 80% of the work. 20% of the people are the servants in the church and the other 80% just sit and watch. They just sit and watch. It's like a, it's like a, you know, a sporting event. They just kind of watch the game. They watch the, the show. They watch the service. And you, know, you get into church our size where you have thousands of people. There's a lot of just you know, crowd out there. They're just watching. They're not participating. They're not serving. They're not learning to live like Jesus. That's why we require, in our church, we require when you become a member, you have to serve. We don't give you an option. Well, you know, you don't have to serve. We understand you you, you don't want to serve. No, you have to be, if you're going to join the church, you have to serve somewhere. And if they say, well, I don't want to serve. Well, that's fine. You can keep coming to church. You just can't be a member of Victory. Because we equate membership with servanthood. We equate it with servanthood. You, you, you. We're going to create a culture, and, and our culture is serving. Our culture is not watching. 
We don't get, you, listen, we've got a limited amount of time on this earth before Jesus comes back. We don't have time to mess around sitting in a church service, watching a church do their thing on the stage. We are here to be the church. So therefore, everyone serves. Everyone serves somewhere. So when you come into a culture of servinghood, when people walk in that have never served in a church, they say, in order to be a part of this church, I better get busy. I better find a place to use my gifts and my talents in the church and not just for myself. That's really why Sunday, you know, Sunday's the first day of the week. Biblically, it's the first day of the week. It shifted from Saturday to Sunday to recognize the resurrection of Christ. But on the first day, God requires the first of our talents, our time, our treasure in our church before we ever go out and work for ourselves. And when you put it first, when you give your time, your talent, your treasure to God first on Sunday, then the rest of the week goes pretty well in your business, but if you, put, if you put church as this day of rest, I'm just going to sit here and watch. I'm not going to serve. Saturday's your day of rest. Come on, somebody. Saturday. You can rest all you want, but get up on Sunday morning, come to church, serve, try to find a place of serving, and if everybody serves, it creates this culture in the church that puts, a, puts this atmosphere out there. Man, this is different. This is not like the churches I go to or I grew up in. Amen. The third one is to have a a culture of generosity. So you have a culture of love, you have a culture of serving, and then you have a culture of generosity. Now, again, you have two kinds of people in the church. Again, two kinds. You have givers and you have takers. You have givers and then you have takers. And you have to decide which group you're going to be associated with. Am I going to be on the giving side or am I going to be on the taking side? Am I going to be here just to get, receive, have somebody watch my children, you know, get a good word, but I never give, I never participate? Or are you going to be on the giving side where you tithe, you give, you sow, you you do all the things that the Bible says to do? Now, when you read the Bible, you will discover that there's over 2,100 verses in the Bible on money. There's nothing in the Bible even close to the subject of money. It is the most talked about, most referred to. Jesus referred to it more in his parables than any other subject in the Bible times four. More than faith, more than love, more than anything. Because he knew, and God knows, the number one competitor for your heart, for God, is mammon. It's money. Because once money starts to get involved in your life, it starts to make decisions for you. It starts to guide you. It makes where you're going to work, what you're going to do for a living, how you're going to live your life. And the more you make, the more options you have. And you can suddenly find out that there's other gods to worship. There's the lake god. There's the beach god. There's the boat god. There's the sun god. There's there's the shopping god. There's all kinds of gods that draw us away from God. So God puts in his word from the very beginning, from the very beginning, he puts in his word, I want your first. I want the first 10% of all your increase, the tithe, so that I can then put my hand on you and trust you for the rest of it. If you can't give me what's first, then really I'm not first. I'm not first. What you do with your money says everything about your heart. So when you start seeing the whole thing about Bible giving and, 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 and sharing and being generous and so on and so forth, 
What you have is you have this whole genre of people in the church that don't tithe, don't give. And so wherever their money is going, that's where their heart is going. And so what happens is your money draws your heart. You say, well, I don't believe that. Well, let me show you in the scriptures where it says that. In Matthew, here's what he says. Matthew 6, verse 19. Do not, everybody say do not. Do not not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth and rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, what does it say? There your heart will be also. Now, I don't know if, if you've ever thought about this, but I thought about it when I came to God. When I, when I came to God, I was 22. <clears throat> I had a business. I was living in New York, and I didn't know anything about tithing or giving. But when I, I just found that when I started giving my heart to Jesus, there was something that God did very unique inside of my heart to give. I loved to give. I believe when a person's truly born again, they do love to give. I'll just say that again. When a person's truly born again, they have no problem giving. It's just a part of the nature of Christ that's taken over in their heart, okay? They may not know how to give or how much to give. They just know they want to give, all right? So I started giving to this church that I'd never been to, and I didn't, I didn't give 10%. I gave 20% because I didn't know how much you give. I didn't know about tithing. That I had to, all I had to do was give 10%. So I, so I was given 20%. And God started blessing my business. And then eventually I, le- I left that business and went into the ministry and started giving at that level. And I found that <clears throat> no matter how hard I tried, I could never outgive God. No matter how hard I tried, I tried sometimes to outgive God and I never could. And because God, he has a principle in his word about giving. And, and it's not that I give to get something from God. I don't give to get, I don't sow my seed to meet my greed. I don't do that. I'm not a, you know, come on, sow your money and we'll pray to some special hundredfold prayer over you and you're gonna get some supernatural blessing. Where do you see that in the Bible? That's a man-made thing to raise money for one person on the stage. All right, that's not a biblical principle of prosperity. I believe God is a prosperous God. He wants you to prosper. But there's a reason for that prosperity, and that prosperity is so you can be a blessing in the earth with your money. Amen? Amen. So we started to look at that, and we said, okay, it says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. I don't think anybody in this room obeys that scripture, including me. I, I guarantee, how many of you got some treasures you've laid? Come on now. You got your little curio cabinet with your little things that you collect and stuff like, you know, just stuff that, basically everything that we lay up for ourselves, you understand this, everything, just so you get the right picture. When it, life is over, none of that goes with you. The more you have, the bigger the bonfire. All right, so just, the, just so you remember that. So the idea, the goal in life is not how much can you accumulate, but how much can you give away before you die. How much can I give away before I die? So we set a goal. We set a goal in our church. We wanted to give, uh, before I stepped aside, I said, uh, my goal is to give $100 million out of this church. $100 million. Now, I I grew up in McDonough, Georgia, a little country podunk town with a dirt road. I grew up on a dirt road. I, I was barefoot all summer long. I mean, to the point where I had calluses. I didn't even feel the stones under my feet. I was a tout like this. You think y'all are country? I mean, I was really southern country. Y'all all right out there? <laughs> Ate country food, grew up in the country, did all the country stuff. 
went to the University of Georgia, God's college, by the way. Uh, <clears throat> that's why the big G on there, see? <laughs> and um, the whole time in college, all, all I was thinking about was becoming a, a businessman, making lots of money. Never in my wildest dreams did I think I could participate in something that would give away $100 million, all right? When we started the church in 1990, the first year, the whole year, we had 50 people, I mean $50,000 come into the church, the whole year. That's how much came in the first year. So we basically lived off of our savings. We had 100 people at the end of the first year, 200 at the end of the third, second year, 300 third year, 100 people a year, that's how we grew until we hit year number 10 and then it just kind of exponentially started growing. Now we're about 16,000 and, and we have a lot of people in the church. And, but little by little, we just made a decision. All right, we're gonna give out of our church 20%, at least 20% of every dime that comes into this church, we're gonna give it into missions. We're gonna give it into missions. All right, so now we're 29 years in, we've given over $70 million into missions from our church, $70 million, all right? You can't give 70 million unless you have people in the church that are generous. Did you hear what I just said? Now you say, well, what, what's your lifestyle like? I live in the same house I've lived in for 20 years that we paid $224,000 for and we still live there. All right, we're not living in a big mansion behind a gate somewhere. We, we live at the level that we can keep giving more and more and more. Are you following me? You, you don't live to get more stuff. You live to give. And, and when you have a heart to give, it, it, it catches on with people. It, it's, it's something that catches on with people. Let me ask you a question. Are you tithing? Tithing is like the elementary beginning of giving. Giving the first fruit of all your increase is just saying, God, I, I trust you with, with your, my, your first. I'm just giving this to you to let you know that you're first in my life. And then the rest of it, the offering... You can't really give an offering until you've given the tithe. Your offering is up to the love. Your, your tithe is your trust for God. Your offering is your love for God. And so when, when I'm thinking about how much do I want to give, I'm, I'm thinking in terms of the bare minimum. I'm thinking how much can I sacrifice for the cause of the kingdom? Amen. All right, so you have to have a culture of generosity. And then finally, you have to have a culture of faith. Now, I usually lead off with a culture of faith, but I felt like the Lord said to close with a culture of faith because of the stage of this church. You're in a stage right now where you are, you're coming up. Now, I want you to listen carefully because this is important. You're coming up to the brink of the promised land. Now, it's hard for you to recognize this yet because until you've been in the promised land, you may not know what that looks like. But when Israel was right up to the brink of the promised land, they were about to enter into the fullness of where God was calling them to. They realized in order to get there, we're going to have to fight some battles. We're going to have to fight some battles. We're going to have to go through some wars. And we're going to have to have faith to obtain the promised land. We can't just walk in and just, it's going to be easy. All right, so right now you're in Noah's Ark, which is a good place to be when it's raining, right? <laughs> Right, you're in Noah's Ark. I think that's what they call this building. <laughs> that's, that's ironic, isn't it? Um, but you're in Noah's Ark. 
you're here, you have three services, you can grow to a certain dimension here, but that's about it. But at some point, you're going to have to buy land, and you're going to have to build a building. Now you say, yeah, 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 that's what we're going to do, yeah. Now how many of you recognize, in order to do that, you're going to have to up it up a little bit. You're going to have to amp it up a little bit. And this is, this is the thing, we, we, we told our congregation, this is, this is, there's a season where churches go through where they require sacrifice. We have a motto in our church, simplicity, sincerity, and sacrifice. Simplify your life, learn to live with a simple character and a, a, a sincere character, and then learn to live sacrificially for the sake of others. At some point, God's going to require for you to sacrifice something, all right? In order for you to do that, you're going to have to be a person of faith. You're going to have to trust that God's will is greater than what you want for your life. And so churches, when they get to the brink of of building buildings or buying land or things like that, you're not quite there, but you're right at the brink. When they get it to that place, it's, 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 are they going to go in? Are they going to possess the land? Or are they going to say, the giants are in the land, the, the, the economy's going bad, you know, I don't know what's happening now, I don't know if it's time for me to really sacrifice, and no, I think I'm just going to back off right now. <clears throat> I'll let others make the sacrifice. So I know two kinds of people in the church, two kinds. There's Moses generation people and Joshua generation people. It has nothing to do with your age, okay, by the way, it's nothing to do with your age. It has to do with your faith. The Moses generation, when they got out to the promised land, they couldn't go in because they didn't have the faith to go in. So when they sent out the spies, the the 12 spies, there were only two that came back with a good report, Joshua and Caleb. They said, we are well able to pertain the land because God said to us, this is the time to possess the land. The other 10 said, no, we can't do it right now because the the obstacles are too great. The situation is too, it's just not right for it. We're like grasshoppers in the sight of these giants. We can't do it. And so they did not possess the land, and they had to wander for 40 more years until God raised up another generation to take the land. I wish I could show you how many churches have been wandering for 40 years trying to obtain the land, but the people aren't willing to go in and possess it. They start to whine and complain. It's too, it's too hard. It's, they're asking for money too much. They're talking about this. And, 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 you know, I like a small church. Where do you get in the Bible that God wants churches to be small? That's not, the, that's not about God. That's about us. I want, I need. I want it to be intimate. I want it to be social. I want to know everybody. Well, I'm pretty sure that God wants to reach as many people for Christ as he can before you die. Come on, somebody. Which means you got to put up with people. You got to put up with people that are honorary, people that are not good, people that are coming with all kinds of sin in their life. You got to put up with all that stuff if you're going to possess the land. So we all know that this is a principle. It's called a 10 to 2 principle. For every two people in faith, you have 10 that are not. For every two people that will obtain the promises of God, you have 10 pulling them back. And I'm just telling you this ahead of time, that when you get up to this time, when it comes time for y'all to possess land, you're going to have some people, no matter who you are, no matter what church, say, ah, it's not our time. I'd rather stay in Noah's Ark. Let's stay in the Ark. The rains are coming. <laughs> will we be people of faith? 
Will we obtain what God's called us to obtain? So here's, here's, what, here's what God says, Hebrews eleven six. 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. All right, so here's the challenge, new song. The challenge lies ahead. Will I believe God is who he says he is? And will I believe that he will reward us if we will walk by faith? How many of you are ready to obtain the land? You're ready to enter into the promises of God? Four, five, six of you. Ten to two, come on, ten to two. How many twos do we have in the room? (laughs) When you start talking about that, all of a sudden the whole reality starts to set in. We're not just going to be a nice church coming to church on Sunday morning. We are a church of people that are ready to set a culture to change this city, to change the environment around us. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. I want to speak a prayer over you. And I want to say this to you as you're bowing your heads. I know some of you are, maybe you're fairly new to the church and this might be a little challenging for you, but, but just listen to it because There's some real truth in this that if you'll get it inside your heart, you can become a part of an amazing culture, an amazing culture here at New Song that could do some significant damage to Satan's kingdom on the earth. This church is not just about uh, growing a little bit at a time. It's about reaching and touching the whole community around you with the message that you have inside the hearts of the people here. Father, I'm praying right now that you're beginning to to put that seed of culture inside this church. You're beginning to show us how to value and love people outside of ourselves more than we just love ourselves. Showing us how to be a heart, have the heart of a servant, God. Loving to serve in some capacity in this church and outside of this church. We just serve, God. Help us to be generous. Break any love of mammon off of us, God. Any spirit that has controlled us with money or kept us from tithing or giving in this church. And Lord, help us to have the spirit of faith, the gift of faith. That when it comes time to, to take this church to the next place, the next level, God. That there is a seed inside of us that's well able to possess that land. We're well able to take on this challenge that lies ahead. Now, maybe there's some of us here that we're not fully completely surrender to Jesus yet and so I just want you to speak to us right now before we go home today and if there's anyone here that has not fully surrendered their heart to Christ maybe they believe in you but they've never fully given their heart over to you maybe they need to say I, I, I need to repent of sin in my life I need to get life, my life right with God with every head bowed every eye closed I'm not going to call you out or embarrass you I just want to pray with you right where you are But if that's you, if you would just acknowledge it to God by lifting your hand saying, that's me, Jesus. That's me. That's me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And if you would like to pray this prayer with this new song, just pray. Believers, pray with me. Let's say it, Jesus. Right now, I repent of my sins. I ask you to forgive me. Cleanse me. From anything in my life that's holding me back from you. I believe you are the Son of God who died for my sins and who rose from the dead. Come into my heart. Drive out all the darkness and replace it with your love. 
today I surrender my life to you in Jesus name let's lift our hands to him now Lord we surrender to you we give our whole heart to you right now I pray that you're going to do a mighty work here at New Song God through these people and we thank you for it in Jesus name and everybody said amen and amen God bless you Thank you so much, Pastor Dennis. Wasn't that an awesome word? I love a good word from a father, right? Because there's a little bit of spanking sometimes. you got to get a little bit of discipline. But you walk away feeling loved and feeling encouraged. And I hope you feel that way today. New Song Church, God has big things in store for this place. And I believe God is calling some of you to step up. And it's not, it's, it's, it's to encourage you. God wants to use you to do something significant. And in the next days, we say this all the time at this church, our next days are our best days. And there are big, good days ahead of us coming soon. So, uh, Pastor Dennis, thank you so much. That was an apostolic word. We receive it. Thank you so much. for. Well, let's give Pastor Dennis one more hand. Thanks for listening to this week's message from New Song Church. If you have a prayer need or would like more information about New Song, you can email info at newsongpeople.com. If you would like to partner with New Song through giving, go to www.newsongpeople.com forward slash give. And if you want to stay connected to New Song, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for New Song People.